Well, guys, we are starting a brand new series this morning called Ben Don't Break. And each year our church goes through this annual alignment study. And what it means is that all our groups use the questions from Sunday messages. And this provides alignment on how we grow together in purpose and on purpose as a church. I mean, as we grow on purpose together, it will change our community. I mean, imagine if we get this right, right? Imagine we're in our groups and we begin to be more patient we become more faithful. We become more, you know, we have more self-control. Imagine the impact that has on our homes. Then that leads out to our relationships and at work and eventually in the community. Imagine that our community could be turned upside down because of how we go and apply God's word over the next six weeks. So, so this year's study will focus on two brothers who handle life differently and how God uses both of them for a greater purpose. Now we're going to see it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So how do you respond when something happens outside of your control? Like, ask yourself that question. What happens? How do you respond when something outside of your control happens in your life? Are you quick to break? Are you quick to bend? And in this study, we're going to track through the lives of Joseph and Judah, the brothers, and we're going to learn through Moses' storytelling that Joseph had to learn how to bend before he felt like breaking. And each week we're going to see how Joseph's story was part of a much bigger story. And that's God's story. God saving a broken family from starvation and making them into this great nation that would bring forth his son to save many, including you and I, in this room. So this story, we're connected to this story. So, question on the table this morning, as we focus on this morning's focus, how do you respond and react when things are going well? How, how do you respond and react when things are going well? I mean, how many of us are enjoying the moment? Right? We, we, how many of us pick up the phone, like something good is happening, we pick up the phone, we call, we text, we FaceTime, we DM someone? Think about like your first car. Your first apartment, your first home, your engagement, the birth of a, a child coming and the delivery of that baby. How about adoption, right? It, we have this news. We want people to know about this good news. And so there's a tone in sharing, right? We, for some of us, we, we learn how to do emojis. I, I, I have a little bit of a regret by teaching my grandparents how to do emojis. My grandma is stuck on one emoji and it's that prayer, the prayer emoji. How about uncontrollable engaged, uh, excitement? Like we can't get the words out. We're so excited that this is happening and we can't get the words out. Have, have you ever been the person that you laugh uncontrollably? You're so excited about the news. You're so excited about how good your day is going or how, how the season of life is going for you. You're just giggly. Or how many of us are just constantly smiling? You win that match. You win that game. You're getting married you're having a baby, and, and you're just, you, just, you, just, you just can't stop smiling. How many of us are willing to do everything we can to keep it going? You find yourself praying, maybe bartering with God. God, if you keep this up, I will keep this up too. I will do whatever you want me to do as long as we keep this going. Have you ever found yourself finding the perfect routine and then no one could get you off that routine because that routine has worked 
It's successful and you want to keep it going. How many of us are becoming anxious? Things are going well, but there's that thought in the back of our mind. Oh, the sky's falling. It is going to go bad here shortly. You're in your head. You're anxious because you don't know how long the good is going to last. Fearful that you're not prepared for the bad that's coming. Guys, there's many times as a coach, we're, we're, we're in the game and we're up by several scores. And whether I played as a player or whether I coach, it's the same thing. We feel like we can ease off the gas a little bit. And I keep telling my players, I keep telling as a coach or as a quarterback, I kept telling our players, we got to keep the gas going. We got to put the metal to the pedal. We have to put our foot, we don't keep off the gas. The reason why is because you never know what could happen. One play could change the outcome of the game. We have to put our foot to the gas, keep going until we see three zeros at the end of the fourth quarter. Without saying it, I think for some of us, we could become very confident in how things are going. And then we become very confident in our ability that, hey, we're the reason we ended up here. Like we, we, maybe for you, it's that you have a desire that people will see you as successful. People will see you as a winner. People will see you as someone who, who has it going, who has the it factor. And even though it may be against your temperament, we all desire things to go well, and we want those things to continue to go well. We desire to find ways to keep everything going well. Many times, our overconfidence, your overconfidence, my overconfidence, our, our hubris, it gets in the way. And when we allow our hubris to take over, what happens? We value immediate pleasure. And then what happens, right? Maybe you found yourself, you become impulsive. You're willing to buy something you know you don't have the money to buy, but because you want immediate pleasure, you're willing to do that. Or you're willing to send off that email. Or you're willing to text someone that you shouldn't be texting. Or for some of us, we're self-protective. We lie. We don't want to get caught. We, we want this thing to keep going. And so with all that in mind, as we start our series, our story starts two generations earlier with a promise that God made to a guy by the name of Abraham. And this is what God said to him, the Lord, in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Lord, and every time you see the Lord capitalizes God's personal name, Yahweh, Jehovah, said to Abram, before he changed his name to Abraham, leave your native country, leave what's familiar, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And this is a big deal because he was married, and he had yet to have kids. Having kids was a big deal between him and his wife. It was something almost impossible. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And notice this. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Moses is letting us know God chose the nobody to be a somebody for his purposes. And that's our story. Man, all of us were nobodies 
before God invited us into a personal relationship with him so that we now become somebody. And God took Abraham, and Moses is telling the story of God's people that through Abraham's, Abraham's family tree, God would bless all the families on earth through his son, the Messiah, God's final and forever king. So Abraham, he eventually has a son named Isaac after years and years of trying. Then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Yes, Jacob is going to be one of our key, key, key characters in this study. And dads in this time period would give a blessing to their sons. And these blessings were a very, very big deal. Receiving a blessing was a great honor. Losing a blessing was a disgrace. And these blessings were what they were. Um, you got two things. One, you would be told what you would receive after dad's death. And the second thing is dad would predict to you how your life was going to turn out. Knowing what was in store, Jacob tricked Esau, his older brother, into giving him the blessing, the birthright, which gave him the authority over Esau. And Jacob would be blessed and Esau would miss out on the inheritance. Now it's Jacob's turn. It's Jacob's turn to find a wife, have kids, and eventually give them a blessing. And this is where we're going to pick up our story. So Jacob was nicknamed Israel by God, and we're going to refer to that in just a second, so keep that in mind. He loved a woman named Rachel, and he worked for her hand in marriage for seven years. Now, guys, imagine working for your wife for seven years. And then, wedding night comes, you're super excited, you're pumped up, you're ready to go, you're ready to start this life together. And then your father-in-law tricks you and gives, instead of the daughter that you love and you want to marry, that you thought you were marrying, he replaced Rachel with Leah. Now, how did that even happen? I have no idea. Like, how do you not know? He didn't, he just, he just went with it, I guess. Then he worked another seven years for Rachel after being tricked. Finally, after 14 years, he had two wives which is never a good thing for anybody. Now, to complicate things even more, Leah wasn't loved like Rachel. I mean, it was just known that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So, when it was time to start having babies, Leah gave birth to four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Then Rachel who was jealous of her sister, guys, I can't make this up, who, because she couldn't, remember, she couldn't have kids. She gave her maid to her husband to become another wife. You can't make this stuff up. Bilhah had two sons, who Rachel named Dan and Nathalie. Leah realized that she couldn't have any more, so here's what she does. She gives her maid to Jacob. And wh- wh- I mean, what's this dude going to do? Like, he should say, no, enough is enough. But he was like, yeah, you know, like, what's, what's one more? Zilpah becomes his wife. And Zilpah had two sons who Leah named, Gad and Asher. So, so far, we have four wives and eight sons, but no son for his favorite wife. 
Then Leah had two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun. Then finally, finally, after waiting and seeing ten sons born to three different women, Rachel gave birth to Joseph, and then later she gave birth to Benjamin, and she died through that childbirth. So the story continues. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan. So his dad said, I need to go find a wife. He goes find a wife where Abraham was from. He comes back where his father had lived as a foreigner. And this is the account of Jacob and his family. Now notice what Moses does. The focus, he focuses on telling his people where they came from. So this isn't just Joseph's story that we're going to read about. It's about the nation of Israel. And the stories of Joseph and Judah are magnified because they are important to their story. So, 17 years goes by. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. So he's working in the family business. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So the story picks up. Jacob is a canon. Now here's what happened. His wife has died and his dad has died. He was very successful. He received his inheritance. He's living into his blessing. As nomadic people, Jacob's success is based on how large his family and group is and how much livestock they own. Jacob is familiar with the promise that God made to his grandfather. Now what, he, what he's doing is he looks at his life and is very successful because he's continuing in the promise. Even though how he got there was unconventional, dramatic, and sinful with, with three more wives than normal, things were going very well for Jacob. Even when things are going well, when on our own wisdom, on our own knowledge, I don't want you to miss this, there are some things in the peripheral that are not going so well. And those are the things we typically try to avoid. Things are going well for Joseph, too. He's working in the family business. He's a shepherd. And just Joseph let his dad know that his older brothers were doing some bad things. Now, we don't know what they were, what they were and we're not sure if Jacob asked him for the report. And here's our takeaway. Sometimes when life is going well, we don't want to disrupt it. There's going to be moments in our lives when things are going well, we don't want to disrupt it. And perhaps we ignore the things that may disrupt it. That that credit card bill was larger than last month. A lump in your arm, a lump in your neck is getting bigger. You have a toothache. Is hurting. There's a miscommunication between your spouse or there's a miscommunication between you and your friend. The kids are misbehaving. The co-worker is complaining. And perhaps you and I, we have this passive-aggressive approach to handle conflict in order to keep our success. Like we, we ignore the issue. We procrastinate. We avoid making an apology. We do some quiet quitting. Now notice how Jacob handles the situation. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his children because Joseph had been born to him in his own age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. 
But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So this is how Jacob handles the peripheral. He chooses favoritism. He chooses to get Joseph a beautiful robe. And Jacob is telling his other 11 sons, listen, he's the most important one. And this is a passive growth passive-aggressive approach in handling family drama and conflict. Well, I'm just going to play a favorite. I'm going to choose someone to be my favorite. This is when things started to break. Jacob bent too far. Now, notice what happens next. One night, Joseph had a dream, but when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. See, things were going well for Joseph. He received a promotion. He was on the fast track to receive the birthright and the blessing. He was the favorite son to the favorite wife. He couldn't ask for anything. Whether he planned this or not, things were going well for him. Now, if you're an older brother, how would you respond? His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? They hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Huh. See, no matter how mature Joseph may have been, could you imagine a 17-year-old telling you how the future is going to play out? That sounds pretty arrogant, right? We'd be like, man, you better better watch your mouth. Joseph's dreams, listen, were not his fault. But he owned how he spoke about them. He owned his tone. Soon, Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. The sun, moon, 11 stars bow low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as brothers. And his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while Joseph, Joseph's brothers were jealous, notice what Jacob did. He wondered what the dreams meant. And in this culture, God spoke through dreams. When two dreams were, were dreamt in close proximity to each other, it meant that it would happen quickly. And in this culture, the sun, moon, and stars were symbols that represented rulers, and it seems that Joseph would be a ruler of them all. And even though Jacob got on Joseph, he wondered what the dreams meant. And the brothers, they were willing to do everything they could to prevent Joseph from becoming the ruler. And that's where we're going to pick it up next week. But let's just call a quick time out, and let's, let's kind of recap and apply what we've, what we've read and what we've learned so remember our question, how do you respond and react when things are going well? Remember that question, how do you respond and react when things are going well? All of us experience moments of success or things going well. We want to keep them going that way. Like all of us, we have that tendency. We want things to keep going well. We like it. There's nothing wrong with that. One of the takeaways from the story is that success in your life sometimes has very little to do with you. And I, I want you, to, I want you to, to hear that and receive that. Success in your life sometimes has very little to do with you. 
Things were going according to Jacob's plan. Living in the promised land, had many kids, continuing the promise, he was wealthy. Things went well for Jacob, and that success had very little to do with him. Jacob's success, his success, hinged on a generational promise God made to his grandfather. God was writing a bigger story and provided success to Jacob despite of the drama, the deception, the sin, and the handling of his success. It was going according to God's plan. The success in your life sometimes has very little to do with you. Like when I look back on my life, I realize, I recognize that God allows situations to happen to provide me success or for my life to be going well. That's all God. I had very little to do with that. God allows you and I to experience a season of more of success because he is writing a bigger story that involves you and me inviting people in a relationship with him, his son, a descendant of Abraham. The whole narrative of God's word is that God is restoring the world back in a rhythm with him, including humanity. So here's what happens. We bring sin to the table. God brings forgiveness to the table through the death of his son. We don't have a lot to offer. <laughs> we don't. But God has so much to offer. And God's like, I'm willing to trade your sin for forgiveness. Are you willing to accept that? Notice what Jesus says about God's generosity. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. The other takeaway is this. Handling success. Handling success every time has a lot to do with you. Every time it has a lot to do with you. Perhaps you don't want to disrupt it. Perhaps you ignore things that may disrupt it. Perhaps you choose a passive-aggressive approach to handle conflict in order to keep your success. And here's the deal. The trap that we fall into is hubris. This overconfidence and this self-importance. And as we do, here's what happens. We pursue immediate pleasure. Instead of going to church on Sunday, we were willing to sleep in. All right, that's an immediate pleasure. And then like when someone asks, we're like making all these excuses up. Or how about this? What if you really want something, but you know you're not really good financially, right? You're not in a good place financially, but you really want this thing. Immediate, immediate gratification will have you compromising yourself. See, as followers of Jesus, we need to follow his example. If we look at Jesus' ministry and then notice the moments when he was successful, the teachings, the miracles, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. He talked with God, his Father. Like Jesus in Luke 19, he understood his calling. In Philippians 2, he was humble. In Matthew 5, he dealt with issues head on. He wasn't passive aggressive about anything. He dealt with what needed to be dealt with. And in John 17, he didn't procrastinate. When he knew it was his time, he knew it was his time. And as followers of Jesus, 
Guys, He is our King. And we are to serve Him in everything. We are to serve Him in everything. And listen, this may not sit well with you, but this is true. Jesus is our Lord. He is our King. Kings, what? They own everything. I want you to know that Jesus doesn't want something from you. He wants everything from you. And that's not a bad thing. Because when he's in charge, my life goes a lot smoother than when I'm trying to direct the ship. When I'm trying to make decisions on my own. Think of the success that you've had in your life. Think about it. Where did it come from? Like, what can you do to handle it better? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, this whole story, we're kicking it off and we're, we're, we're getting to the root of it. That God, if we've had any success in our life, it's been because of you. Forgive us for taking some of that credit. Forgive us for not handling it real well. Father, for those who are on the fence about Jesus, I ask that they would surrender because your way is the best way and quite honestly, it's the only way. Father, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we would handle success well, we will handle it responsibly, and we will understand that we are part of a much bigger story. You are king, you are Lord, we are not. So Father, allow us to be humble, to accept that, to receive that, and to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.